Hello and welcome to Reliance's podcast. We hope that the message encourages your heart today. If you'd like to join us in person, we meet weekly on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, or 11 o'clock a.m. And if you want to find out more about Reliance, come check us out online. talking about that the last couple months, just that word awake, awake, awake. And, I, and I'm, I'm reading through scripture and actually that word awake, it was never a word to unbelievers. It was always a word to believers, which just sounded weird. Why is he calling believers to wake up? Because we've fallen asleep. And so that word awake was always to the bride. And I just felt like that was fascinating that God has to tell the bride of Christ, wake up. And I feel like that's the word right now that he's really stirring us in and why this house of prayer, these prayer burns, these furnaces, these prayer furnaces are really being stoked right now because Jesus is in the garden in the last hour praying and what could the disciples not do? They couldn't stay awake. They couldn't stay awake. It never says in scriptures they fell asleep when he preached. We don't know that. Maybe they did, but it never says that. But when he went to pray, they fell asleep. So what do you think the enemy hones in on for the church today? He hones in on that and he goes, I'm just gonna make them sleep and slumber during prayer things. I'm just gonna make them go, you know what, it's not really my forte. I'll get into the word, but I won't pray. I'll worship because I like that, but I won't pray. Do you guys hear what I'm saying? And so this air raid thing that Carl was telling you about, that shock and awe, that shocked the enemy so that when they got boots on the ground, they laid their weapons down. And we were talking, and I'm like, it's like the Lord. This is what prayer is. The furnaces are an air raid from heaven. You're praying God's will, and it rains down so that when we get boots on the ground, like at the state fair or out here in Pretty Prairie, we get boots on the ground to share the gospel. Men and women are going, I surrender to the Lord. And you're like, I didn't even say anything yet. And the Lord goes, I know, I've got them, right? And then if we boast, if we boast, we boast in the Lord and not ourselves. Somebody say amen. Because it's always God that does the saving. And so this is why we've got, we've lost the shock and awe of the prayer room. We've lost the shock and awe of the prayer furnace. And this is where God is bringing the church back to. And so when we say that our goal here, if you're fairly new, you, you, you've heard us say, uh, you haven't heard us say this, but we, we're about worship, word, and prayer. And everybody's like, okay, that's a great vision. So what does that mean? It means we worship and we pray and we read the word. That's it. Yeah, and they're like, okay, but go deeper with that. Mm, that's pretty deep, right? Yeah. Like that's, in other words, you, that's where we're finding life in Christ. And so the reason that we pray, so one of those is worship, word, and prayer. The reason that we pray, we don't pray for prayer's sake. We don't intercede for intercession's sake just because it's a buzzword everybody uses. We do it because we love Jesus. And because we love Jesus, we love what he loves. I want to say that again. The Bible says, specifically, Jesus says, hey, if you love me, you'll do what I command. And so because we love him, we love what he loves. And you'll know if you really love him by knowing if you're doing what he loves. Does that make sense? I'm going to do some work on that. Okay. So, so we love him, so we do what he says. And we go, okay, so what, is, what does he say? And he doesn't hide it in scripture. It's not like he goes, you're going to have to really look and see what I love. He lays it out really simply to us in John 2. This is why we, we and you've heard this, we, why, why we call ourselves a house of prayer. In John 2, 16, Jesus comes in, does the whole flipping over tables things. But here's what he says. Take these things away. Listen to this, church. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. 
his disciples remembered this that was going to be written about him, zeal for your house will consume me. So Jesus is consumed by making sure that the Father's house is a house of purity. This is what's driving him. Anybody ever been consumed by something? It means you can't get your mind off of it, you can't get your heart off of it, you can't get your actions off of it. It's literally, the word consuming, it's consuming every part of you. And this word that Jesus says is, that his disciples remembered from scripture is, zeal for his house will consume me. And then here we are as believers, Jesus inside of us, if zeal consumed Jesus, zeal should consume us. It should consume us. It should drive us. Zeal for the house of the Lord. Zeal for the purity of Jesus. Zeal for the prayer room. Zeal for this thing should consume us. Now what's that zeal going to lead to? He's going to tell us in Matthew 21, 13. He's going to come in, end of his ministry, do the exact same thing. He's going to chase out the money changers and he's going to say, my house, and this we've done work on this, my house will be called a house of prayer. You're making it into a den of robbers. So what are we zealous for? To get the house of God back to a house of prayer prayer again. This is what's consuming us. Why? Because we love the word of God and because we love the word of God and we love Jesus, we love what he loves and what he loves is a house that prays together. Now, in saying that, that word, you have turned it into a den of robbers. It's, it's an indictment against the church and here's what, he, here's what I take from it. In other words, you've given yourself over to religious activity and church commercialism that's what the church has become. And he's going, that's not my house. My house is not a house of religious activity and commercialism. My house is purity. My house is purity. And in my house, what makes it purified is that it's a house of prayer. Now, I think the reason that Jesus was so indignant in these moments is that he saw that people were taking religious experience and making them transactional and not relational. This is what was burning in him. I believe that Jesus hated this idea that we saw God merely as an exchange. I give you this, you give me this, that's our relationship. And I think that this is why he's flipping over tables going, no, 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 you missed the whole he's beautiful thing. He's worth it, he's majestic. It's not transactional, right? We've talked about that, it's relational. And so every leader that you read about in scripture that, that was worth their salt, every leader that you read about, every Christian leader throughout the centuries that have led revivals and that have done these things for God, there was one big marking thing in their life. We love leadership, we chase after leadership, we listen to all the leadership podcasts, go ahead and do that, that's great. But if you wanna know the mark that's gonna mark your life in leadership, it's this, they had a devotion devotion to Jesus Christ. That's what drove their leadership. They could have been the worst organizers. They could have been the worst leaders in all these things that we chase after, but they had a devotion for the Lord and he used them in profound ways. And so you're going to see it over and over and over that that devotion to the Lord brought them into one place. It brought them into the secret place. And in the secret place, God did a work. Now, when we talk about being a house of prayer, I want you to understand something. Everybody put your hand on your heart and say, I'm the Lord's house. I'm the Lord's house. Biblically speaking, this is what he says. I will come and make my home in you. 
My, Jesus says, my father and I will come and make our home in you. You have now become the Lord's house. So it's both. When we talk about house of prayer, we're not just talking about corporate gatherings. We'll get there. But we're also talking about personal, uh, personal prayer lives. We're talking about where we've got a house of prayer right here inside of us. This is where it's birthed right here inside of us. Then when we get together corporately, Scripture says in Ephesians that we're like living stones being built on top of one another to become a temple of the living God. So there's both a corporate mandate for house of prayer, there's a personal mandate. How do I know this? In Matthew chapter six, Jesus says these words, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father. Somebody say, when you pray. pray. He doesn't say if you pray. He doesn't say if you want to pray. When you pray, it's expected. When you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and the father, uh, to, to your father who's in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now listen to this, church. Here we are, we're, we're Americans, so we're like, God bless me, right? Bless me, bless me, bless my finances, bless my marriage, bless my kids, amen. Let's pray that prayer. But let me tell you where it's gonna be found at. It's gonna be found in the secret place of you being a house of prayer for the Lord of you being a furnace for the Lord. If you wanna see the blessings of the Lord, then there better be a furnace of God that starts right here. Somebody say amen. Amen. This is where it starts. So we can't get together and do this corporate thing yet until we learn intimacy here. It's very, very important that we start this house of prayer here. So Charles Spurgeon, some of you guys have heard of him. Dude was a dynamic preacher, revivalist. Um, he's one of the great men of faith that you'll read about in history. Charles Spurgeon, when he preached, revivals happened. And so people would come and visit him all the time, and they would come to his church, and they would say, Charles Spurgeon, you're such a great preacher. Your, your preaching stirs revival. Your, preaches, your preaching is like fire. And he would always tell them, no, 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 it's not my preaching, and I never bring revival. He'd say, you wanna see You want to see where revival comes from? Let me show you our heating apparatus. And he would always take visitors down into the basement of the church. And visitors reported they were astounded. In the basement of that church were hundreds of men and women on their faces praying and interceding. He goes, you wanna know where the fire of revival comes from? It's not the words that I preach. It's the prayer furnace that happens down here. There's an air raid, there's an air raid that has bombarded so that those who come in, all I gotta do is barely open my mouth, say Jesus loves you, and they're hitting the floor because the air raid has shock and awed their heart for the Lord. This is where the furnace and the house of prayer is so important, and we cannot neglect it any longer, church. This is how he saw it. This is what he says. He says, this is the most important meeting that we do. The prayer meeting was the powerhouse, and Spurgeon called his basement, this is where we get this word, Spurgeon called his basement the furnace room. This is where it starts. It starts in the furnace room. Um, Man, you'll see this. You'll see this going in and out of scripture. This is what happens in the book of Acts, in Acts 1.14. What you see is you see a bunch of men and women in an upper room. Where did this thing start from? A bunch of men and women that got in an upper room and prayed. And as they prayed, the power of God came on them. And then, and then they went out. They preached a dynamic message. 3,000 got saved. They did signs and wonders. So all of that preaching and all of that, you know, signs and wonders came from when they got in their prayer house. When they got in their prayer furnace, when they became a house of prayer. It's the order of God. Get in that house of prayer and he'll start to fill you with his heart's desire and you'll go out roaring. And then right after that, they come back into the furnace room again. Let me show you this in Acts chapter four. So they're out preaching. They're out 
testifying. Miracles are abounding. It's beautiful. People are getting saved because of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And then in Acts chapter 4, verse 23, Peter and John are arrested because they're preaching the word of God and because they're doing signs and wonders. All of a sudden, the religious leaders are stirred up. Why? They didn't like Jesus. They definitely don't like these two. So they're stirred up. So they arrest them. They beat them. They send them out and say, don't do this anymore. Peter and John get back to their prayer house. Look what happens. And when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, all of a sudden, something happened. They lifted their voices together to God. So they come back and they're testifying about the goodness of God and the greatness of God and the majesty of God and what God is doing. And immediately, the furnace begins to burn again. They start a prayer meeting. They lift their voices to God and they say these words, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, when, who, who through the mouth of our father David, your ser servant said by the Holy Spirit. Now they're gonna quote scripture. This is Psalm 2. Why did the Gentiles and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and his anointed one. So they're reminded that the Lord says, people are gonna come against you. And all that does is embolden them. The Lord told us this is gonna happen. So their prayer meetings, they start praying scripture. Now look what happens, verse 27. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both uh, who you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats, grant to your servants, continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand. This is key. He didn't say, I'm stretching out my hand. The Lord says, I'm going to stretch out my hand. While you stretch out your hand, O Lord, to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, somebody say when they prayed. When they prayed. The place in which they were gathered together was shaken. How many guys have ever been to a prayer meeting where the room shook? Is it possible? Absolutely it's possible. If we're Bible people, it's possible. The question is, are we willing to get in a prayer room and wait for that room to get shaken because the Lord comes down? He says, and when they were in that room, it was shaken. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with all boldness. In other words, they got into the furnace room. They left. They preached the word of God with boldness. They got back into the furnace room. They went out and they preached the word of God of bold, with boldness. If you're struggling with boldness to preach the word of God, maybe start in the prayer furnace. Maybe get back to the house of prayer and make this a house of prayer. Church, this is the times that we're in. This is what we're trying to get back to. And I believe this is what the Lord is doing in, in our time. I'm gonna skip through a bunch of this stuff. And so here's what I wanna to get to because we're gonna do some prayer together. Um, the Lord is now in your heart and he's flipping tables. And he's bringing purity back to the temple of the Lord. Everybody say, this is his house. Both personally and corporately, the Lord is coming back and he is doing a work and he's flipping tables and he's getting us back to get on his agenda and his plan and his agenda and his plan says, my house will be a house of prayer. And that's why this word, this rehearsal word, man, was such a big deal as we were all day long, man, from eight o'clock on, it started there, but all day long, this rehearsal, this is what it's gonna be like with him forever. We're gonna go together because you're gonna be there. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. 
we're going to be together, and we're going to go into the house of the Lord, and we're going to worship him, and it's going to be beautiful. And so again, this rehearsal is what we're doing. It's why we pray. It's why we worship. It's why we have the word. We're going to be living with the living word of God, worshiping and praying all the days of our life. It's going to be awesome. And so what we do when we get into that prayer room, Carl was talking about it. I don't know if you've ever been to one of those 12-hour burns, but he says a lot of times what happens is you see people come in, and it's almost like, what do we do in there? Do I just come and sit? Do I ponder life? <laughs> do I think about the, thanks for that, Carl, the brevity of my life? Here one day, gone the next. What, what, am, I, what am I doing in there? And the reality is when we're in there, we've got Bibles open. Why? Because prayer should always be positioned with the word. Prayer and the word always go hand in hand. Prayer should always be positioned with the word. Bible's open. We're reading the heart and the will of God, and we're praying the heart and the will of God back to him. So if you've ever wondered, okay, because I've seen, like, sometimes we get into a prayer room, we're like, I'm just not sure what I'm supposed to do. First of all, bring your Bible. Amen? Bring your Bible. And so you've got your Bible open, and you're just praying through Scripture, starting the Psalms. And all you're doing is praying the Psalms back. God, you said ask, and the, uh, the nations will be in your inheritance. So I'm asking, would you get all the nations in your inheritance? And so we're praying Scripture in those rooms. There's the problem for most of us when we get into a prayer room is that we, we don't know how to communicate with God. And I'm going to share this with you of why I think that is. It's actually a problem that we have. If you go to any counselor, they'll tell you, if, if you're a couple and you go in and you sit with a counselor, every counselor will tell you, one of the biggest things that people say is, we don't know how to communicate. You go to a workplace and whatever the strife is, you'll find at the very root of it, we don't know how to communicate. We are a people that don't know how to communicate. And if I don't know how to communicate with my wife or a coworker because whatever the tension is, if I don't know how to communicate there, how in the world am I supposed to communicate with the God of the universe that I don't always get to see? Do you see how the enemy has raged against us? And so this is why it's so important that we begin to see the goodness of God as beholding him and the glory of God as beholding him. And we begin to see all the ways that God is moving in our life. And so you get into that prayer room and you start this communication. And how do you start it? You start it with God's word. And then from there you begin to see the Lord begin to move because the Lord will always, listen, the Lord will always respond to his word. He will always respond to his word. So here's what, here's what I want to do. I, I want to read this quote to you, and then I wanna, we're going to pray together. There's, there's a quote, because I want to challenge you. We, can you bring up that uh, PowerPoint of the things that we have going on? So these are, when we put these things, like these furnace prayer times and, and burns, these are just little things to kind of stoke your fire to start your prayer burn. So we, we meet on Mondays, 10.30 to 11.30, Thursdays, 8.30 to 9.30. These are open times. Come and for an hour, we just, we pray scripture, we sing scripture, and we pray to the Lord that his will would be done. South Life Church, which is down near Hayesville, um, they do the same thing on Tuesdays, 12 to 1, and Thursdays from 2.30 to 3. These are just little furnace meetings where you can get engaged and you can grow in this prayer life. And then, of course, we've got the presence prayer on Wednesdays from 8 to 9, um, which is out in Newton, and then we've got, or near Newton, just outside of Newton, and then we've got the prayer burns that happen once a month. The next one's gonna be September the 23rd. So here's the deal. I'm just showing you, these are things that are supposed to stoke a fire in you so that you go, you know what, I'm gonna start one in my workplace. I'm gonna start one in my home. I'm gonna start one at the gym. I'm gonna start one at the park with a bunch of gals. I'm gonna start one here with a bunch of guys. I'm gonna start a furnace, and we're gonna start praying together the word of God. Somebody say Amen. 
Now here's, here's a quote that I read. <clears throat> we do a lot of dreaming, by the way. And one of the things that Carl and I were dreaming about is when you think of one of the darkest places in Wichita, almost always somebody will eventually get to Broadway, right? Broadway, it's dark, why? Prostitution, drugs, homicides, like rampant stuff happening down on Broadway. So Carl was like, hey, if we're gonna talk about establishing an air raid in the right place, why don't we go and get a house of prayer, get one of these burned out bars, put a guitar in there and start singing and worshiping and praying scripture over South Broadway. And I was like, I know it'd be crazy, but what if we did that and an air raid hit Broadway where we come out of the door and people are like, I surrender to the Lord. Amen. They're like pulling the crack out of their pockets and throwing it, I give up. And we're like, we haven't even said anything yet. And the Lord goes, the air raid was shock and awe. They walk by, feel the presence of Jesus begins to change something, begins to change something. And so here's the deal. It's a dream we have, but I read this quote, every dream has a process and a price tag. Those who embrace the process and pay the price live the dream. Those who don't just dream. I'm gonna read it one more time. Every dream has a process and a price tag. Those who embrace the process and pay the price live the dream. Those that don't just dream the dream. Anybody tired of just dreaming the dream and you're ready to live the dream? <laughs> Here's what I think's going on. Since we're talking about a rehearsal, there's a wedding banquet being thrown in Luke chapter 14. And in verse 16, he said to, Jesus is telling a parable, he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many, and at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is ready now. But they all alike begin to make, somebody say excuses. The first said to him, the first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. The second one said to him, I have bought a yoke of oxen and I have to go examine them. Please have me excused. And another one said, I've married a wife. That's pretty legitimate, right? Therefore, I cannot come. So the servant came back and reported these things to the master and the master of the house became angry. And he said to the servant, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes in the city, bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, sir, what you have commanded has, has already been done and there is still room, come on. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel, somebody say compel. Compel, compel people to come in that my house may be filled that my house may be filled. What's the house of the Lord? Somebody say a house of prayer. It's a house of prayer. He goes, I want my house of prayer to be filled. And here's the problem. I've sent out invitations and everybody's giving me excuse of why they can't come and pray. Everybody's giving me excuse of why they can't come. It's just too much, I got lots going on. I get it, I totally get it. Imagine you for a moment. It's your wedding day. You've sent invitations to your family, people that you've been there for, people you've laid your life down for, your friends, you've sent it out to your friends, people that are going, I'll be there no matter what for you. And it's the most special day. And they got the invitation in the mail and all of a sudden they start sending things back to you on their RSVPs that say, can't make it, just bought a dog, got a potty train. Can't make it, got 18 sporting events that I gotta go to this weekend. That's my own conviction right there. And all of a sudden, 
these people that you love or that you thought loved you, they're all like, I know it's like your biggest day won't be there. And now imagine the Lord's going, I want to fill my house with men and women that want to pray. And I'm getting like excuse after, come on, amen? And then right after that, he's going to say this in Luke 14, hey, there's a cost to following me. So I'm going to read this quote one more time. Every dream has a process and a price tag. Those who embrace the process and pay the price will live the dream. Those who don't just dream. I want to be a church that doesn't just dream dreams. I want to be a church that gets to live those dreams. Do you want to be that? We're going to pray in our corporate group. Can you bring up the Isaiah? Can you go back? Like, I think it's the first slide because I totally, yeah, there we go. We're going to pray for the house of prayer to increase in the nation and all nations. Isaiah 56, 7. I got to read this to you. I know some of you guys are going, oh man, I got stuff to do today. No, no, you don't. We're letting you out really early next week. Really early. Just tacking that on to today. Here's what he says in Isaiah 56, 6. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord. Did you guys know we were once foreigners to the Lord? We were on the out. Jesus brought us in. The foreigners who join themselves to the Lord and minister to him. This is the key that, that, that Elijah said earlier. Our first mandate is to minister to the Lord. To minister to him. To love the name of the Lord and to be her servants. Every, to be his servants. Everyone who keeps the Sabbath does not profane it. These, and, and holds fast to my covenant. These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer and so he's like really serious about this house of prayer and if you don't believe him look what he says and burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all for all for all nations and so here's what we're going to do we're going to get in our groups and we're going to pray we're going to pray for a house of prayer to be birthed all over wichita we're gonna pray for a house of prayer to be birthed all over Kansas. We're gonna pray for a house of prayer to be birthed all over the world. And here's what I'm asking you. Start right here. Lord, birth a house of prayer right here in my heart. Go in your circle. God, right here, start right here. I want a furnace right here. And then go outside of that. God, make it happen in Wichita. And then in Kansas. And then all over the United States. And then the world, that there would be a house of prayer that increases. Pray specific prayers. Help me to start it at my gym. Help me to start it in my home. Help me to start it at my workplace. Help me to start at my park. You get the point. Let's get up let's get in groups real quick just spend five four minutes doing this and then i'll let you go four minutes get in your groups let's pray for an increase in the house prayer thank you so much for tuning in for today's word we hope that it continues to encourage you and bless you as you go about your day-to-day -day. until then we will see you next sunday have a great week